Hey podcasts, we are going through one of the most challenging times that many of us have ever faced. As the world is dealing with this epidemic and our usual outlet of sports such as the NBA, NHL, college sports and March Madness have all been suspended, this is just all unimaginable. But I challenge you to stay positive knowing that this too shall pass. If for the next hour or so we can put your mind in a better place and get you excited for your future and the good that will come after this storm, I would say that we have succeeded. A few weeks ago, we traveled to New Jersey and sat down with Matt Panto of the Ivy League. Matt is the Associate Executive Director of Strategic Communications and External Relations for the League. He will explain what that really means in the podcast. What I loved about this conversation is, like many of us, Matt knew he loved sports but had no idea what he wanted to do. It took a very simple action on his part to get him noticed for the first time in the industry. Listen in as Matt discusses his part in the league, coining the tagline of an unrivaled experience and what it's like to work alongside ESPN, the league's broadcast partner, airing thousands of Ivy League games across their multiple platforms. Matt loves encouraging aspiring sport professionals and by the end you will understand why Matt says he has never worked a day in his life. Let's get to it and remember to be kind to others. Podcast, welcome. We are in Princeton, New Jersey, here with a special guest, Matt Panto. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, we are here at the Ivy League offices located in Princeton. Yeah. Okay, so your title, we were just joking about this a little bit. When I say it, you'll understand. Associate Executive Director, Strategic Communications and External Relations. And I said, What's the short to that? Summary is I'm in my seventh year here at the Ivy League office and I oversee all of our communications department as well as external relations, including television, marketing, licensing, anything that, that, that's associated with within those realms is what I uh, touch on a daily basis. So a lot of media-based communications, obviously, and that's a sector that students and recent graduates really want to get into. So I'm really excited to hit you on that subject and we're at the Ivy League. Mm -hmm. So it's excited on that collegiate level. Sure. That's also a path. You know, some students want to go that pro sports path, but while in college, you hear, I want to stick with college because there's that energy. There's that vibe to college athletics that just is intriguing and who wouldn't want to work in it? To me, there's an affiliation with college sports that you can't get anywhere else. And with all due respect, I have a ton of friends that work in the professional ranks, and I'm a huge fan of a lot of professional teams. My day-to-day -day life, I want to work somewhere where there's a passion and affiliation to a college. And that's just who I am. I am a strong believer in the collegiate sport model and what college sports does for your overall academic and athletic experience during your four or five years on, on campus. It's who I am. So I've been very fortunate to, uh, to work in two places, Lafayette College and here at the Ivy League, where my values match what my employer's values match as well. And that's hot debate in a lot of sport management classes, the level of play between pro 
and college athletes. Sure. And I'm a person that thinks that college athletes, you could see that passion. Yeah. They're playing to get to that next level, yeah. where sometimes the pros, they're playing to make sure they get that next contract, right? Yeah, and you're playing for your friends too, right? Like when I think of college sports, last night I watched the Duke-Pittsburgh game and you see the Cameron Crazies sitting around. I'm not necessarily a Duke fan, but I think that's so cool when you see students supporting students and student-athletes supporting other student-athletes. That's some of the things that, with all due respect to professional sports, you don't get that there. There's different motives and that's that's all, uh, all good. When you're on a campus environment and when you're sitting there watching fellow students participate and play for the same school that you go to, to me, that's chilling, and that's what gets me up every morning to go to work. I think, too, like you said, you have a piece of it. You were them. That was your college campus. Maybe you weren't on the football team or the basketball team, <laughs> but you were at that school, and you pride yourself as an alumni, where in professional sports, as much as we would like to say we're fans, we're kind of dissociated. We don't have that connection. We wish we did, but I think that's special about college, too is that you are it that was once you and you could connect very well and then years go by and you go and meet your friends at alumni events and it will always be a part of you yeah i went to desales university it's a small d3 school in pennsylvania and some of my best experiences were going to sporting events and just supporting students and student athletes that, to be honest, at first I didn't know who they were, where they lived, what they were doing. We didn't live in the same dorm or anything like that. And then all of a sudden you start to see them on campus and you just say the words, good game last night. And all of a sudden you start to develop some friendships and relationships and all of a sudden you're watching your best friends on on the court, on the field of competition. And that to me is just a, a really cool experience. I played sports in high school. I always had a deep passion for sports. I never played sports in, in college at the at the varsity level. So to to live through friends and them participating for the same school and same belief that I had, to me, that's the power of college sports. You see students supporting other students, and they all go to that same institution, that same university. It's, it, it's pretty cool. It is. It is. Now, you're in year seven, you said, but third overall in this position you're in right now. A stat that I read about you is over that time you've been here, you had 1,100 events broadcasted across 37 sports annually and also oversaw the live production of 14 championship events. Wow, (laughs) that's a lot of events you're a part of. Yeah, so when I was brought in, uh, the Ivy League was launching something that I can not even come close to taking credit for called the Ivy League Digital Network, and that broadcasts the 1,100 events. So between our eight institutions and all the sports that we sponsor, 33 championship sports, schools as, as high as 42 sports on each campus, between all of those live events, you quickly get up to 1,100 events a year and now even closer to, to 1,300, 1,400. It was eye-opening coming into the league office. You realize all of the incredible work that's put in at the school level to put all of these events on. Obviously, I'm not at 1,100 events. I'm not producing 1,100 events. It's the schools that really uh, are the engine behind that. And you quickly realize the dialogue and the mutual respect that you have to have with the school personnel when you're sitting in the league office. So 
those stats are great. They're they're awesome. It's something that I take great pride in. But to say I'm one very very small piece within the success of those events is probably quite the understatement of the year. So we're sitting in your conference room here at Ivy League offices, and behind you is a board, and it shows the whole Ivy League, every sport that's offered, and it is basically where they're ranking currently. Sure. So let's go down the list of schools that are even in the Ivy League, sure. just for people that don't know. Sure. Brown. Yep. Yep. Columbia. Yep. Cornell. Dartmouth. Harvard. Princeton. University of Penn. And Yale. Yeah. I got them all? You got them all. Okay. You got them all. And in alphabetical order, so you didn't upset anybody. <laughs> How about that? I may have pulled that from an article somewhere. There you go. There you go. But a fun fact, we are in Princeton. Mm-hmm. So we are on the tour seeing the beautiful campus of Princeton, yeah. and there's a train right here, a mm-hmm. commuter train. Yeah. And you gave me a stat that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. What's that stat? Yeah, so there's a train station that's probably 200 yards outside of our office. And if you hop onto that train, you can get to seven out of our eight schools without ever leaving that train. So you have to get into a a different rail and and a couple different places. But actually, if you go start in, in Philadelphia, you could go Philadelphia, Princeton, New York, New Haven, Connecticut, Providence in Rhode Island, up to Boston, and then from Boston, you would have to hop on another train and get up to Dartmouth. Bad weather sometimes arises, and, and driving isn't the most safe thing every once in a while. So uh, we take the train a lot of places, and it's it's pretty convenient not only for safety, but also to, to get some work done while you're on the train and, and see all the different campuses. So when I heard that, when you told me that on the tour, my mind thought to a, a question that I was going to ask why are the Ivy League offices here at Princeton? (laughs) Good question. I'm trying to get more detail on that from what I remember the story being told is when the Ivy League offices were being formed, the executive director at the time was already living in the area and they said, okay, well, instead of uprooting you and moving you to a different location, let's just stay here in Princeton. Princeton was very gracious to host the, the offices we are on campus in, in Princeton. That comes with a lot of benefits to still have that student-athlete interaction when we want it and being on a college campus. That's something that's near and dear to, to my heart. But it's probably sometimes surprising that we, we don't actually see the Princeton folks that much. <laughs> we certainly go to games and events and a bunch of functions, but we really do try to balance our time between each of the eight institutions despite being located here in Princeton. So the campus, the buildings are beautiful, historic, and the Ivy League is known to be this prestigious league, right? So let's get more into the Ivy League. What is the Ivy League? Yeah, so at at its core, the Ivy League is eight athletics institutions that the Ivy League office governs at its core, and it comes across with different meetings across the, the general public, but at its core, the Ivy League is an athletic conference, college athletics conference. We're Division One. We have eight member institutions, and we take great pride in the world-class academics that we we offer and I think are are well-known. We take great pride in some of the the campus opportunities that we feel that you can get out of an Ivy League education. We think that an Ivy League education puts you on the path to some lifelong success. It's not about those four years. It really is setting you up to shape your future for the next 40, 50 years of your life. And one that goes back to the core is that I think sometimes people understand the academic experience of the league and they don't 
maybe fully comprehend or understand the, the athletic success. So last year alone, we had 75 nationally ranked teams. And when you think about the Ivy League, that's probably a distant second to the education that you're getting, and we're okay with that. But when we are successful athletically, we think that it shows what you can do when you put academics and athletics together. You don't have to sacrifice one for the other. You can have both worlds and you can be incredibly successful in both. We have a lot of professionals that will go on and be doctors and lawyers and business professionals. We also have 25 NFL players on NFL rosters this past year. We've had 13 national championships last year. If you go start going through some of the athletic stats, you see very quickly that you can do whatever you want here in the Ivy League and that you don't have to make a choice between academics and athletics. So these students are delivering. They're a full-time student studying really intense subjects. You just mentioned a couple sure. jobs right there. And then they're a student athlete as well, excelling both on the field and off. Something that really is impressive about the Ivy League is that annually your student athletes compile the country's best marks in the NCAA academic performance ratings and graduation success rates. Yeah, so one of the things that I think we take great pride in here in the league office and, and really the collaboration with the, with the schools is we feel like we put in rules and standards and principles in place that allow you to be successful in the classroom and allow you to be successful in, in competition. There are NCAA rules and then there are Ivy League rules that are most of the time more restrictive in how many practices you can have throughout a season, when you can start your season, what you can do over the summer. There are certain standards in place that we feel shouldn't compromise the academic experience. Mm -hmm. And we don't sacrifice that for athletic success and we're okay with that. It doesn't turn into an arms race in this league. It is all done within balance of the academic and athletic experience. We want to win. We want to be successful in, on, on the court, on the field, in the pool, on the track, wherever it may be. But it has to be done with, with the, the student athlete's future in mind to make sure that they are getting the best academic experience that they can. You have some really great content out there. And before this podcast, I watched a video and the students were talking about just that, the education paralleled with athlete experience. And the one quote that always stuck in my head was that large minds talk about ideas. And that's what this video talked about mm -hmm. is when you're going to school in the Ivy League, you're talking about ideas. What can we do to make this world a greater place? instead of maybe some of the lesser conversations sometimes that we all had in, sure. in college at university. So I think that by watching that video and just what I know of the Ivy League is just that. These student athletes are here to be great at all aspects of life. They are, and the word that I always go back to is the word challenge. Time and time again, every time you talk with one of our student athletes, they want to take on a new challenge mm -hmm. and then maybe unlike myself who is not as ambitious as, a, as an Ivy League student athlete, as soon as that challenge is complete, they're on to the next one. Whereas I would want to take a nap and uh, take a deep <laughs> breath and maybe go grab a bite to eat. They're already thinking about what's the next step. 
great, we just accomplished this, what's the next step? And it may be within the, the, the same scope of ideas, or it may be something a completely different topic. Mm-hmm. But the way that they are wired is that they are ready to thrive in every single day. And once a challenge is met, that's great. We're on to the next one and, and let's see what we can do there. And it is the students, across the board students and college in general, it's more about the degree now. You can't just have a degree and expect success because college has become kind of the next level, the mandatory route that you go, that you know the masses go to. So you have to make the most out of it while you're there. So that is something I like to promote to students, sport management or business or whatever type of student you are, is it's not only about that degree, showing up to classes, getting the grades to pass, it's about getting involved and making the most out of that time. Yeah, so I'll use two examples from from my experience, not at an Ivy League institution. When I went to DeSales, I transferred actually from DeSales. I I started out at Bloomsburg. And when I transferred in my sophomore year, obviously didn't know anyone. Everybody else has a year and a half head start on friendships. And I was really looking to just meet people and try to find that core group of friends that I could really call my college buddies and, and, and lean on and, and, and see where we can take it. Well, I love, again, I love sports. So one day I walked down to our women's volleyball practice at the sales and I said, hi to the head coach. I said, hi, I'm Matt. I just want to shag balls at practice. That's all I want to do. I just want to, when you guys go through hitting lines, I want to go pick up the balls, put them back into the bin, allow you to do your next drill and move on. From there, with a lot of steps in between, it turned into a full-time position of work study. And then it turned into, as soon as I graduated from DeSales, I was an assistant coach on the women's volleyball team for three years. And it led me into some great, great friendships. So if I didn't take that walk down to the gym that day, I wouldn't have the friends that I have today. I actually wouldn't have my wife that I have <laughs> today. She was on the soccer team and she had a lot of friends on the volleyball team. So without taking that walk and asking that very cold question, I probably wouldn't be in the, the same position that I am today. But who doesn't want help? Mm-hmm. You went to volunteer and you offered help to the coach there. So yeah. of course, yes, sure. common help. I never thought we'd get somebody that wanted to shag these balls. Yeah. And that turned into work study, paid position, helped mm-hmm. you out. Of course, college students want a little cash in their pockets, sure. still getting an experience, mm-hmm. and then led you to coach. Yeah, it actually led me to understand that there's more uh, professional positions outside of just coaches <laughs> in, in athletics. And I was able to understand what does a sport administrator do? Who are the, the rules people that are making all these rules? Oh my gosh, they're actually real people. Um, the, the coaches, the trainers, the sports nutrition folks, everybody that goes into making an athletic department successful, I started to, to, to understand that that's what I wanted my future to be. That was probably, I didn't know it at the time, but that was probably one of the most influential days to, to lead me down my career path. I'll give you another example if you don't mind. We were in a business class. When I was in college, I wanted to be, I was majoring in business. Initially, when I went to Bloomsburg, I wanted to be a business teacher. Shows you how much I I, I didn't have it figured it out. But we get to a project in a business class. It's a group project. And I'm going to date myself a little bit here. It was about internet marketing. And this internet thing 
people are marketing on it. What, what, what should we do? How should we be marketing on the internet? So right away, the rest of the group who a lot of friends and, 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 and very good friends, very, very intelligent, start going down the business path. And that was great. For some reason in my mind that day, I thought about taking the education path. Schools, universities, higher ed are also marketing on this thing called the internet. How are they doing it? So I had a family friend at the time. His name was George Bright. He's an incredible person. He was a family friend that I grew up with uh, in my hometown. He was the associate athletic director at Lafayette. And I called George and I said, here's the project that we're doing. Do you think you could let me sit down with, with someone that helped me out here? Sat down with a gentleman named Scott Morse. Scott was the director of athletic communications and promotions at Lafayette. And we sat down for an hour. At the end of the conversation, I had everything that I needed for the project. And Scott said, hey, if you ever need an internship, let me know. And I said, well, you're going to regret that. I, two hours later, emailed him, thanked him for the conversation, thanked him for his time. And I said, I'd like to take you up on that internship. That summer, I did a unpaid summer internship at Lafayette. That was going into my senior year. During my senior year, I stayed involved working for the DeSales women's volleyball team as well as Lafayette through some of the game days. And then at the end of that senior year, graduation came, and I was fortunate enough that Lafayette had an opening in their communications department and got my start at Lafayette. If I wouldn't have walked down to the gym that day to ask Coach Zabitsky to be a part of her volleyball team in a very small way, and if I didn't call a family friend who I'd known forever and want to just take a little bit of a spin on a project and be introduced to probably one of my best mentors that I have in my, my professional career now, it wouldn't have happened. So the ambition that I think you have to have and the ability to make connections on your own, no matter how small it may seem at the time, that's the two moments that still remind me and ground me in my professional career. So I guess the question for listeners at home is, what are you going to do to maybe pave the path to your career in sports? What are you going to do tomorrow or maybe later today that may pave the path for you? Yeah, you have to be open-minded. I was so, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And then I'll date myself even further. When I started that position, YouTube, this thing called YouTube was just starting and people wanted to put videos on it. And people were just starting to live stream sporting events. Colleges were just starting to live stream sporting events. I had no idea, I had no background there whatsoever. I just had to figure it out and I knew that I wanted to get into college athletics and this was a path. I did not make anywhere near what we even consider a decent salary. And to be honest, I say that because I didn't care. I just wanted to be a part of it. I would have worked for free. I'm sure my parents didn't want to hear that at the time, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted to be a part of it. And I trusted myself that if I put on a good show, if I worked hard, if I soaked in everything that I was learning, if I was open to others and what they were doing and tried to be a team player, that eventually maybe I could succeed. And if I didn't, I would have figured it out from there. But I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I know that I didn't have a lot of experience, but I knew that there was a guy that I really respected trusting me with this position, and I didn't want to let him down. So I became a sponge and learned everything there was to know about live streaming events and the broadcast world 
and anything and everything that, that had to do with making videos is what we called it at the time. I remember when YouTube first launched too, I was like, wait, is it you or yeah, is it no, while it you? Confusing. Yeah, it was very, very confusing. confusing. <laughs> and that stuff will continue happening. So if we're talking to the younger generation right now, just wait, right? Yeah. Technology is just going really quick and new things are coming out every day. So one day in the near future, they will have their YouTube moment when something else is developed and you have to learn it. You have to pick up on it. Yeah, and how quickly we forget that you couldn't always upload videos or photos to Twitter or there wasn't this thing called Instagram that you had to have a .edu e email address to be on Facebook. I mean, all of these things are within the last decade. Let's stop there because yeah. I don't think people do realize that. Sure. When Facebook first started, <laughs> you needed to have a college email address to get an account. Yeah, and it's now crazy. look where we are today. I mean, uh, it's evolved so much and it's one of several platforms now where if you're not on Facebook uploading your story and your content there, you're not maximizing what your employer is worthy of. Correct. To get your message out there, it's now just one of several platforms, not just the platform to get your message out there, get your story out there, and share what you're trying to tell. And the evolution of it, it started as college demographic, mm -hmm. and now it's predominantly the sure. older demographic, right? Yeah. The yeah. moms and, and yeah. everybody else. Yeah, and you see the next generation more on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And now Instagram launches Instagram TV, where you can upload longer videos onto, onto Instagram. All of these things play a part in our everyday life and content strategy and what you spend your time on. Mm -hmm. We only have so many, I know this is very cliche, we only have so many hours in a day. What do you prioritize your day on? We talk about this at the league office all the time. What do you prioritize your day on so that when it's time to go home right now, at least the top five priorities were done? And if we have to get to the other five later, so be it. But did our stuff end up on the most impactful, in the most impactful places? And that's an evolving conversation. You know, we referenced YouTube, you referenced Facebook, Twitter obviously wasn't around, Instagram obviously wasn't around. What's the role of a website anymore? What goes on to a website? What does a social post make the most sense? There's so many ways that we are asked to take care of our time. And it's a really, really challenging conversation and a really challenging era to, to try to navigate that. In that space, you can know everything you need to know and then the next day, everything changes. Yeah. Whether it's a new platform we mentioned or maybe just algorithms sure. or whatever they do to these programs yeah. is if you are in media, digital media, social media, it is an ever-changing role. So if you like the role of constant change and mm -hmm. learning, it's a it's, could be a, a role for you. Yeah, you have to be adaptive, you have to be flexible, and you have to be understanding that the way that you do things isn't the way that everybody else does things. We have an Ivy League newsletter here that goes out once a week. That is the sole way that some people consume their news when it comes to the Ivy League. We've heard that. They're not on Twitter, they're not on social media, they're not having a conscious thought to go to ivyleague.com. They just want an email that gives them the top five stories of their week. Newspapers are still a thing. How much time do you spend reaching out to media, making sure that newspapers and your news coverage within the, the national and local and regional media is still covered? All of these things we're asked to spend our day thinking about, 
and it takes professionals like we have here in, in our office and around our league, it takes professionals to have an open mind to come in, be adaptive, be flexible, and be willing to be okay with change and anything that, that comes their way. And it's um, interesting so because your demographic is students, <laughs> right? And then their parents, parents make a lot of the decisions, and then the alumni and older alumni. So we're talking here about social media and a lot of times newspaper, radio, TV are starting to phase out of the conversation. But in your sense, the older population, your alumni are still utilizing those channels. So it's still a part of your overall game plan. Yeah, so you can take all of those different target audiences and then you can add in casual sports fans too, right? So we were talking, we were talking about the athletic success of, of the league. We feel like that's one of the unknowns of, of college athletics, of how successful athletically we are. Well, all of a sudden now, we have to talk to a completely different audience if that's the message that we're going to share. We have to tell people that have no interest in Ivy League athletics right now. They just like sports. They just like college sports. We now have to find a way to explain to them, hey, yes, we know that we offer these world-class academic experiences, but did you know that we had 75 nationally ranked teams last year? Did you know that the year before that we had 98? Did you know that we already had 56 this, this year? Did you know that we had X number of national championships last year? These are all things that if we're going to convey that message to people that don't know about the Ivy League and we want to expand our audience, now you have to get creative in a whole new way. So it's, it, it's what really makes the day-to-day job a lot of fun because you're challenged every single day to come up with a new evolving way to reach five, six, seven more people that day. So you came up with, or were a team, I should always say, in the office you're always a team here, but you led the launch of a campaign released last year, an unrivaled experience. I've sighed on commercials even before I got here, and I always thought, wow, that's interesting. But I'm talking to somebody who was a part of making that happen. Sure. What was that like? How does how does that happen? Yeah. Such a slogan coming up with that. I appreciated you saying that it was a massive team effort because it really was the most rewarding facet of that entire launch was the number of people that it had included. It was a multi-year process that touched certainly our office, certainly the campuses, whether it was the athletics directors, the communications directors, marketing directors, But then it worked itself up into campus, whether it was uh, our policy committee, our Ivy League uh, Council of Presidents. You had everybody involved in this message that we are trying to send. And once you started saying it, you just saw the head nodding Mm -hmm. around rooms no matter where you were. Whether you're with current student athletes, whether you're with alumni, whether you're with prospective student athletes, whether you're with coaches, administrators, athletic directors, all the way up to to our, our presidents, everybody was just kind of nodding our head and that's who we are. The goal of the campaign was to identify what makes the league unique. When you put all of college athletics together, and then when you put all of Division One together, what really makes the league unique? And what we came up with is there are many schools and, and conferences that they can say that they are more successful than us athletically. 
They can say that they have just as strong academics. You can name a number of schools that are just as academically sound and, and, and offer great experiences. You can talk about their campus opportunities. And you can talk about all the successful alumni that have come from other conferences and other institutions. But when you put those four things together, the success that we have academically, the success that we have athletically, when you talk about the campus opportunities that are afforded through some of the rules that we establish that allow you to be more than just an athlete on campus, and when you talk about the alumni success in whatever profession that you, you decide to go down, when you put those four things together, that's the unrivaled experience. And we came to the conclusion that that really is what makes us distinct and unique. So it spoke to you. You probably had a whole list of ideas, right? Because that's what you do. Oh, yeah. You come in and you think that you have everything figured out on day one, and two years later, you're still working on it. So. Two years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. A lot goes behind this because sure. this is your brand. Yeah. You are speaking not only for the league, but you're kind of speaking for the eight other colleges that are associated in the league. So it's a tough thing, right? It, it's a tough thing, but more so you want people on campus to feel like they are part of that experience. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't work unless our schools really are in line with it and buy into it. So again, the most rewarding part was when you had eight athletics directors look, who are all very competitive within the same league, but are all fighting towards the same league principles and same league mission and say, that's who we are. We had an athletic director at one of our final presentations of the campaign the conclusion of the presentation, he stood up in front of a rather large group of administrators and, and, and colleagues around the league and said, this is the closest that we've ever gotten to describing who we are as a league in his 19, 20, 21 years in the league. To hear that from someone that the league respects so much, that lets you know that you came pretty close to getting it right. So if we do something that's siloed in our office and that the schools don't buy into it, it's not, it's not worth our time because it's not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But if you can find a couple things each year that you can all really unite around, it's pretty powerful what a United League can do. Absolutely. Now we talked about this academic and athletic combination. How do Ivy League students balance that high-level academia with athletics like what's the secret here i wish i knew because i have two younger daughters and i would love for them both to go to an ivy league institution so if i had the secret sauce i'd, I'd be sinking into them into them now they're a different group it's unlike anything that that i've been a part of i was fortunate again to work at lafayette for seven years and lafayette is no slouch when it comes to an academic experience and the success that they have athletically it's another level when you come into into the Ivy League. And whether it's just this tireless work ethic or accepting new challenge like we talked about before or just wanting to be, I know it sounds cliche, but just wanting to be the best in every single thing that they do, it's not just noise. That 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 is literally the fabric of who they are. So it takes you a couple of years to believe that and see it and live it over and over again. But the same passion, we talked a lot about passion earlier, the same passion, the same commitment that they have to their sport is the same commitment that they have in their academic experience. And to generally summarize, I think that's why they have the ability to, to be so successful. When we are talking about the Ivy League here, this is what pops into my mind. 
A's hang with A's, <laughs> or you are the combination of the five closest people to you. So when you are putting yourself in a room filled with great thinkers, forward thinkers, people who want to be successful, it kind of maybe is contagious. Yeah. And I think that is the message I'm getting, is if you, in the Ivy League and all the schools involved, if you're putting that message and really attracting talent, high-level talent, it's spreading. You want to be a part of that if that's everybody around you too. Yeah, so we use the word like-minded, right? And that goes within the classroom, but it also goes into, again, I'm biased, I see the power of what sport does and what being on a team does as well. Well, all of a sudden, you're on a team that not only shares your interest within sport, but also shares your interest with being an intellect and wanting to be the best in the classroom as well. And when you put those two things together and there's so many shared interests on a team, that's pretty powerful. That That's when you know that you're really starting to be part of something special and I think it's a great point that, that that you make it just the environment that you're put in on an Ivy League campus again I'm biased it, it, it is unmatched because you do have unrivaled. That, <laughs> we would say it's unrivaled <laughs> it, it is the best of both worlds when you put the academic environment that you're around then you go three hours later into your athletic realm and you still have those like-minded people that are just as ambitious Okay. Now let's dive into really your role because we want to find out what you do and sure. if maybe that's a path for other people. Sure. First, you mentioned you work at the Ivy League and now you worked at Lafayette. So you got the league experience, the college experience. What's the big difference? Oh gosh. You know, people ask me that a lot. There's probably not that much of a difference when you really drill down. And I know that sounds weird. What the, the, the popular answer would be you don't have the daily interaction with student athletes. We're lucky to be on the Princeton campus. I can go watch a practice or go watch a, 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 an event or anything really anytime we want. We're an hour from Penn. We're an hour and 15 minutes from Columbia. We're five minutes from Princeton's athletics facilities. That's not really, really missing. I think what is different in the day-to-day is we're a 13-person office. The variety of conversation that I have in this office on a daily basis is so expanded from what I, I had on, on campus. On campus, I was part of our communications department. I talked communications 90% of the day, right? Here, for all the right reasons, we're sitting in a staff meeting and I'm receiving updates from our sport administration team, our compliance team, our NCAA governance team. You go through that list and you're automatically subjected to a a lot of different conversations and different for all the right reasons. So I think that's the difference is when you're on campus, sometimes you're siloed into uh, specific departments here, you're such a small team and you, you each need to play off of each other's talents that you're, you're really subject to a lot of different conversations. So you would say the Ivy League League offices, where we are right now, is a smaller office than maybe each school would have. Yeah, sim- and simply because uh, 
when I think of an athletic department, I'm thinking facilities and sport administrators, coaches. We don't have any coaches mm-hmm. in our office, right? There's 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 no coaches, and that's not even to, to say head coaches. Then you start to drill down into assistants and directors and everything else. There's a lot of people in and out exactly. in those facilities. Yeah. Exactly. So we are literally a 13-person office, and just the, the, the quantity of people isn't the same. I think what I undersold being on a campus, uh, we were in the Patriot League at the time, and I wish I could go back and apologize to my friends at the, the Patriot League, is a better understanding of what a league office does. I never had that understanding until I got here. I'm fortunate that I, I think I do have a pretty good idea, although it's been seven years. There's a lot more moving parts in a campus athletic department now. I at least have a general sense of what they do on a day-to-day basis and an appreciation that I can sympathize with when they're going through a, a really, really long day. In a league office, unless you live it, I'm not sure that you can really understand the depth and type of conversation that goes on for a week or a season or, or a year. So let's break down your role. Sure. What do you do? Good question. Every single day, let's stick with the cliches. Uh, every single day is different. And uh, in the league office, I feel like when I try to answer this question, it's seasonal. So in this office specifically, the only league office that that I know, we have a lot of coach meetings in the fall. Obviously, we have all of our fall sports, but right now we only have one championship in the fall, and that's cross country. We don't have any postseason tournaments in soccer, field hockey, volleyball, football, go through the list. There's no postseason events in the fall. So it's a lot of meetings with all of our coach groups and hearing what they have to say, a lot of prep work for their upcoming seasons, and trying to make the most certainly to, to tell the stories of our, of our fall seasons and, and make sure that we're covering those sports to the best of our ability. The winter is a lot of championships, so I would classify the winter as call it November to, to March. It's a lot of championships and bouncing around between postseason events swimming, track, fencing, basketball concludes it at, at, at the end. There's a lot of, of, of championship events that, that take up your time. The spring is similar to, to the winter. You're, you're bouncing around between a lot of postseason events. You're having end of year wrap up meetings to get ready for, for the summer and put yourself in the best position to succeed the following year and, and, and try to, again, still cover the, the sports the best way. That's, that's the seasonal answer. On the day-to-day basis, my job is to make sure that myself and my team are putting out the best content and stories that we can do for the league. Our job is to tell everybody about the specifics of the Unrivaled experience. It's to make sure that people know about our nationally ranked teams. It's to make sure that people know how many Rhodes Scholars we had in previous years, how many academic All-Americans we have each year, the internships that they're doing on campus, the internships that they're doing in the professional world. There's so much that goes into telling our story, and that's enough to, to, to keep myself and the team busy. Would you say as a league office, you have a lot of available content because you have these schools that you could pull from. If you're at an individual college, you're only pulling the news and the backstories from that specific place. Yeah, it's a a great point. And it's one that we spend a lot of time on. We always talk about what's a league story, right? Our job is to talk about the Ivy League. It's not necessarily to talk about Brown's 
student athlete. That's Brown does a really good job That's telling Brown's that story. Role, yeah. Exactly. Brown does a really good job telling that story. If it's a, a, a great story, of course we want to, to, to share that story and make sure that it's it's getting the, the justice that it's due. I'll give a, an example that just happened yesterday. The Cleveland Browns just hired the general manager and it, he's a Harvard grad. And Did uh, he come from the Eagles? Yes, he yes, did. I think he did. did, yes. So the Browns now have a head coach that was a former student athlete at Penn. They have at least two folks that are from Harvard in their general management team. So our communications meeting yesterday was based around touching base with the Browns to go out to Cleveland and do a story on on these three incredibly successful professionals. That talks about the, the lifelong success of our student athletes. And it also shows that whether we're on the field or in, in, in post-athletic life, we're successful on and off. And we do have professionals that are leading these organizations in sport. And that's, that's, that's pretty special. So the idea that you just mentioned, now would you be in charge of facilitating that? Would you fly to Cleveland and make it all happen? It depends. So we have a team on, on staff. We have, his name's Jake Mater. Jake heads up our entire video content plan. Jake would probably go out to that. Sam Canians heads up all of our public relations and media relations for football specifically. Sam would probably go out to that. I'm not sure if I would go out to Cleveland, but I'd certainly be involved in making sure that the details and the puzzle pieces are, are put in place to make sure that we're getting the most out of the story. Jake and, and Sam are incredibly talented. They'll put together a great story. It's my job to give them the resources to do that and maybe steer a couple ways here and there to make sure that we're making the most out of the story to stay in line with, with some of our messaging. Sure. I'm going to perk up some ears with this is that you manage partnerships and one big one is ESPN. Yeah. What do you do there? I grew up a sports fan and again, I didn't think that people outside of coaches worked in college athletics. I didn't think that people actually worked at ESPN. Like what what is this? I see, you know, the people on Sports Center, the anchors, but outside of that, nobody nobody works at ESPN. So, when I came to the league, again, we launched the Ivy League Digital Network. Uh, evolved into the Ivy League network. And then five years into my position, we looked to see what was available for the Ivy League network. And at the time, ESPN was thinking about launching ESPN Plus. And we were proud to be one of the early ambassadors and early partners of the ESPN Plus platform. So I'm very, very proud of everything that I accomplished at Lafayette. I'm very proud of everything that we've accomplished since uh, I began here at the Ivy League. Much like the Unrivaled Experience, the partnership with ESPN was one that really, you can see tangible ways that has moved the league forward. And that is what means so much, so much to me. The people at ESPN share our values in a lot of different ways. They love college sports. They believe in who we are as a league. So to, to, to put all of the pieces to a very complicated media rights agreement and long-term media rights agreement together with a company like ESPN, with the backbone of Disney, that's, that, that, that's one that you probably tell, tell your kids about when they, when they understand what it is. And 
to be involved in something like that and to be given the trust that I was from from Robin Harris, our executive director, and to watch her leadership, the league's leadership, the athletics directors, the presidents, to watch all of their foresight in in this endeavor and and decision making not only was great for me from a accomplishment standpoint Mm -hmm. but from a professional development standpoint the 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 conversations that i was in to really see the full scope of this and understand the, the the many layers of what goes into making this right decision is probably one of the satisfying moments of my my professional career ESPN essentially has taken over the Ivy League network. It's now the Ivy League network on ESPN. We have over 1,400 events that we send to ESPN Plus every single year. We also have events on ESPN3. We have our men's and women's basketball tournament. We have our men's lacrosse tournament on ESPN linear channels like ESPNU, ESPN2, ESPN News. And it's my job to program in cooperation with ESPN and our schools, program all of that content. So it's over 1,400 events, but it's also sharing our story. And I know that sounds very general, but it's it's picking up the phone and calling the good folks at ESPN to say, we have a fencer that is a national champion, and here's what she's working on in the classroom. We think that you, you might be interested in this. And maybe an ESPN columnist goes in and, and, and does a story. That's the type of win-win relationship that's been established with them. And to see something that has moved the needle in many ways for the league has has been pretty inspiring. So a few things. You mentioned, let's go with you sending information to ESPN. So is that how it works? You want to kind of get your story in their attention rather than them come looking for something. Sometimes, sometimes. And because they're really good at what they do, they also come to us a lot too. They have a lot of partners and they have a lot of partners in college conferences. They also have a lot of uh, partners in the professional ranks as well. They have to put all of those pieces together. You can't have a Ivy League basketball game on ESPN2 at the same time the Sixers and Celtics are playing. That There's only one channel, and you have to, they have to choose what goes where, right? So that's, that, that's one part of it. They came to us this past year. It was the 150th anniversary of college football this past year. And Princeton and Rutgers were the first collegiate game. We think that we have a pretty special place within the the sport and the game of college football. So it's a story that we obviously wanted to tell. We did it in our own way. Last February, about a year ago this month, I got a phone call from ESPN and they said, what if we hosted Media Day, your football media day at ESPN? And sometimes I have a tendency to think that that's a great idea, let's just do it, we're good. And I, I paused and I said, what could possibly be wrong with this? What am I missing that this is not just a great opportunity for the entire league? Luckily, I wasn't missing anything. We were able to have Football Media Day at ESPN, two student athletes went to Bristol. We had a, a great media turnout. And that day, we really moved the story forward, not just about Ivy League football, but the, uh, the, the Ivy League overall. And that was an idea that ESPN came to us with. And when we say it's been a win-win partnership and a mutually beneficial partnership, I think they would, they would agree. It's, it's a give and take, and a lot of times our priorities are, are in line. Now, what made you jump on the opportunity to become the one of the earliest adapters to ESPN Plus? 
they had a great vision with it. it. It made a lot of sense. We had a product at the time that was behind a subscription wall. So while other conferences... So and, subscription wall, what does sure, that mean for those that don't know? Sure, it, you have to pay for, for the game, right? So whether you pay uh, a per event fee or a monthly fee or an annual fee, you can't just watch it for free, which to be honest, was not the norm at the time. When I started at Lafayette, everything was behind a paywall. This is another way to monetize and bring in revenue for the athletic department, offset some of the costs. Paying for those live events was what everyone was doing. And then it kind of split, and what if we just get sponsorships to cover these the, the production costs and, and go down that path, and a lot of conferences did. The Ivy League network was always behind a subscription wall. You always had to pay for those events. When we were looking to go with another entity or, or, or stay with what, what we were doing, ESPN was gonna be behind, ESPN Plus was gonna be behind a, a subscription wall. It was something that our fans were still accustomed to. So a decision that may be a little bit more difficult for other conferences, now you're asking your fans to pay for these events, is something that our fans were already okay with. And in fact, when you brought what the the Ivy League Network was to where it is now on ESPN+, it's actually significantly less. So it was an easier sell for us. The other thing that I think was a big part is, we talked about this a little bit earlier, we were looking to get in front of casual sports fans. We wanted people that didn't necessarily go home and turn on their TV looking for Ivy League football, Ivy League programming, any Ivy League sport, to just stumble upon us and see what we look like on a field, on a, on a court, in a pool, on a track, whatever it may be. We wanted to, them to see the type of athlete that, that we are. So the ability to move to a platform where when I go home at night and I want to know what's on in the sports world, I go to all the ESPN channels. That's just who I am as a sports fan. I'm in good company when it comes to that. And to give ourselves the ability to be on an ESPN platform with all of our events, we've seen in some of the, the viewership that we're no longer just talking to ourselves. We're talking to all of our fans, which are incredibly important, the most important, but we're also talking to a new subset of fans that are just stumbling upon the Ivy League because they enjoy sports and maybe they see a few things that we're trying to tell them. Sounds like a, an amazing opportunity that you jumped upon. When did that relationship start? When did you go to ESPN Plus? It started in August of 2018. So we're currently in our second year and it's a it's a 10-year relationship. Again, I, I, much like we do here with our, our communication strategy and, and, and everything else, that's a, an evolving relationship. It's an evolving partnership. And what we did this year, which is year two, will be different in some ways from what we do in year three. And it's very different than the, the learning curve year of year one. So, and what it looks like in year seven and year eight will be completely different than, than year three and four. What hopefully will stay true is that we're with a partner that we believe is looking for a mutually beneficial relationship and ongoing conversation and that wants to be at the forefront of innovation and media rights. So those people at home that have ESPN Plus, check out some Ivy League action. We're with you. Yeah, yeah. And the, the app itself does such a, a good job of, of personalizing and everything. So I'm a Notre Dame guy. Anytime that I pop up ESPN Plus, 
It gives me all of my Ivy League content and then Notre Dame, the Sixers, and everything else. So it's great. With all this ESPN talk, a lot of students pro sports or ESPN. And maybe if they're knocking on ESPN's door, but they're not really getting in, you could work with ESPN in the exact way that you are saying you work with them. Yeah, and ESPN does a really nice job of offering opportunities like that. They want to grow young professionals. They give opportunities to young professionals by design. So uh, it's not hard to find opportunities on, on, on their sites. They have uh, production content associates. They have opportunities for, for folks that are, whether it's internships that are still in school or just out of school, they offer a lot of things that are steered towards young professionals. Mm-hmm. And they really do mean it when, they're, when they say that they're committed to the future of sports broadcasting. You see that in opportunities. The other thing that I would say is, I didn't know that I knew people that could put me in touch with the right people, right? So looking back on it now, if I wanted to work at ESPN right out of college when I didn't know anyone, I actually knew a few people that could connect me to a person who could connect me to a person who could connect me to a person at ESPN. So if you don't know anybody, chances are that you do. I would also say that the, the, the profession that we work in always wants to give back and always wants to steer young professionals into, into sports. Nine people out of 10 that I've worked with in my career have a deep appreciation and understanding of how lucky we are to work within sport and work within college athletics. We want to help others develop the same way that we had to do on our, on our own as well. So when you think that you don't know anybody, it's literally as simple as an email or stopping in and just saying, can I just have a quick conversation with you? Big question here. Sure. We want to help people, Mm -hmm. but we want to help people that are deserving. Mm -hmm. What's that deserving person look like for you? Remember, I I didn't know anything about my job when I first took my first full-time position at Lafayette. You have to be ambitious and you have to just want to soak in any type of experience that you can. So we very often talk about when, when you're going through a hiring process, that, that's great. This person has this X skill set and this Y skill set, but does he or she have the intangibles? Are they going to come to work every day with a positive attitude? Are they going to come to work every day and want to learn something new? Are they going to want to come to work every day and push themselves and push their teammates and be there for their teammates? There's a lot of what we do that is part of a team. And our positions can't be so siloed into just these specific responsibilities. So the more that you are open-minded and really have an appreciation for wanting to get better across a number of different disciplines within your job, that's what a, a, a deserving candidate looks like to me. Amazing. Wrapping up here before we get to some of our rapid fire questions, which sure. is a great part of the segment is, what is the future of college sports? Oh, geez, you saved that one. I think if you've been watching the news at all lately, you know that the the crossroads that college sports is is in, specifically centered around name, image, and likeness of, of student athletes. I think some of the maybe unfair misconceptions is that the NCAA doesn't want to 
pay student athletes, that we don't want to be there for the student athletes, that we're all about making money and not reinvesting it into education, that we're in it for the wrong reasons. And I've never met somebody in, in my time in college athletics that has felt that way. We want to, I think, we, we want to modernize, but we want to be fair to the student athletes. And you can take that in a number of million ways, and it is a way, way more complicated and com- complex situation and conversation than, than I'm even close to being intelligent to, to have. But you, you have people like Robin, like Carolyn in our office, that come at it with what is best for the student athlete. And that, that, that hasn't changed. The second piece to that is college athletics, to me, is unique and it's special and it's not professional. And this is Matt Panto speaking, so I should put that disclaimer out there. But what I tell my wife and my sister-in-law, who's a a soccer player down at at, at Jefferson, is college sports is, is also voluntary. And I truly believe that. Matt Panto believes that with, within his own fabric, that what makes college athletics unique and what makes it special is that you are, have a voluntary choice to go play sports, to further your education, to receive a scholarship or not receive a scholarship, and devote your time, energy, and passion to the sport for your institution. And if you want to be part of that, to me, there's nothing like it in the world. It is a special thing that prepares you in more ways than you'll ever understand for the rest of your life. If you don't want to be a part of that, that's totally fine too. There are a number of different other avenues that you can go down and you will still be just as successful in life, I have no doubt. But to me, when you put higher education together with sport, that's something that's unique, it's something that's special, and it's something that's voluntary. And as long as we stick to that, I think the 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 future of college athletics will be safe. I'm throwing out a lot of little sayings here, but saying that pops into my mind is the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. If we start paying athletes, what is that going to open up? Of course, everybody wants money. It sounds okay at the time, but what does that do? So I think that's why this decision isn't so cut and dry because the people who are making those decisions really need to look at it way further than, hey, there's a lot of money out there. These athletes should be paid. It's, it's way more than just that. It's way more complicated than that. It's way more complex than that. And I don't have a good answer, and I'm not sure that I've necessarily had a good answer. If you <laughs> listen to, to all the updates from the NCAA convention lately and, and everything else, the media reports, nobody really has a a, a good answer yet. We might get there, and I hope that we do, but nobody has a a really good answer yet. It's complicated, it's complex, there's a lot of different layers, but you have to stay true to what college athletics is, and that is tied to your educational experience and how sport can come back into Uh, that experience. Not picking and choosing one over the other, but in balance of each other, how can you put athletics into your educational experience? And if you put all, again, if you put all of that together, I, I, I think and I hope that we end up in a good spot. 
The fascinating thing is only time will tell. Yeah. Right? We have to wait it out. Yeah, and you said something. I mean, the weird cliche that I would use is the grass isn't always greener on the other side. There's no answer right now for a reason. We don't know what the what the best solution is here. If everybody knew, you hear, oh, student athletes get paid. Well, sure, that sounds great. That sounds great. But who are you talking about getting paid? Are you talking about Zion Williamson mm-hmm. getting paid? What about the star field hockey player on the field hockey team that's contributing 20 goals a season and leading their team to the championship? Why does she not deserve to get paid, but Zion Williamson does? There's so many different layers, and that's just one very, very Mm -hmm. small example. But does the quarterback make the same amount as the defensive back? Mm -hmm. Why? Or Mm -hmm. why not? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not arguing for one side or the other. I'm just... What's what's the reasoning behind it? And very intelligent and intellectual people can have disagreeing opinions and not necessarily be wrong. It's a hot, so, debatable topic for is, sure. That is. has so many layers yeah. that I, I think we could sit here and talk all week about it. Yeah, or all year. <laughs> and many people do. <laughs> many yeah. people do. <laughs> yeah. Well, time will tell on that one. Are you ready for some rapid-fire questions? Sure, sure. You're going to just pop off the, anything that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. Best skill to develop to get a job like yours? Flexibility. Best personality trait in a coworker? Team attitude. Favorite podcast or book? Living Sport. Yes, that a boy. What do you wish you knew in college that you know now? How many doors are open to you if you just go out and and try? That was the rapid fire questions. Great job there. I want to hear, and those listening, what is your last piece of advice for those looking to build a job in this industry? Yeah, it comes back to me and my personal experiences, but I say it because, not because it has to do with me, but because I've seen so many others the power of an internship and going out and getting as much experience as you possibly can. Yes, you get all the experience, but we live in a connections world and a networking world that the number of doors that those connections open through internships really is the path to success here. So my first piece of advice would be to to take advantage early and often of, of internships The second piece is be as humble as you can possibly be early on in your career because it will lead you to the the right path. And I'm a huge believer that good things happen to good people. But I, I didn't know that I would make it in this industry. There were a lot of years early in my career where the salary wasn't anywhere near ends meet and we were trying to figure out where to live, how to pay for rent and everything else. But I loved working in college sports, and I've been fortunate enough to now land in in a place and in a position where I can support a family and everything else, but it took a long way to get there and a lot of grinding and and belief in yourself to to get there. So between internships and staying humble early in your career and just having a can-do attitude, that's that's probably where I would land. And that's a life question, right? Do I want to wake up happy every day of my life, excited to go into work? You know, it's Sunday night, Monday morning. I'm, I'm ready. 
Uh, maybe not making the biggest salary or do I want to have maybe a really large salary, which you have to earn anyway. You have to climb that ladder yeah. too and maybe not love every single minute of my day. Yeah, can I just say uh, real, real quick, I'm in my 14th year and I will look uh, anybody in, in the eye and say this, I have never ever felt like I had a job. I have never felt like I'm going to work today. I probably, I might say that, and there might be days that are worse than others. I've never felt like I was going to a job. That is so important to me because I leave two young daughters for eight, nine, ten hours every single day. And if I'm leaving them for that amount of time every single day, I better have a good reason to do it, and I better like what I'm doing. So my good reason is it, I go to a place that is able to, to help me support them. And it's also that I, I enjoy going to the place where I'm going. If I didn't do one of those things, it, it, it'd be tough to, to have this type of job. And guess what? You come home and dad is happy, right? Because yeah. dad yeah. just had a great day. That's, that's, that's so well said. And I'm always happy to see them, but I'm always in a good mood for the most part because... Yeah, I was away from them for nine, 10 hours, but I was doing something that I love. Yes, and I'm sure they'll grow up being able to come to sports games and be around the sports atmosphere. Man, I know I would have loved that as a kid. Be pretty cool, yes. pretty cool. So internships here at the Ivy League offices, what do you got? Yeah, so we offer semester long internships. We offer annual internships, and then we also offer a, a summer internship that is actually paid and that we can offer offer a stipend for the the fall semester the spring semester or the annual one uh, we offer for class credit which has been awesome opportunities it's what i did during during my time when i was at the sales and really gives you experience outside of the uh, of the classroom and then we also offer a summer internship where you come you live in princeton for for the summer you get a great experience you see a lot of the planning and pieces that get put together for the upcoming year you're a part of a lot of, of meetings and conversations and really get a good feel of of what we do so again i wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for an internship and it's it's our job and my job and everybody else in the office's job to to give back through those opportunities well, seems like you have really great opportunities here, and I think working either with you or alongside you here in this office would be so beneficial to any young professional. You have a lot to offer. Your story is great, how you grinded and, and made this you know, your life. You're here at the Ivy League. Thank you. What this podcast does and what the organization that Living Sport stands for, I would argue, and I'm not just saying this, is completely in line with the mission of the Ivy League as well the power of sport and what sports can do to prepare you for life. That's something that you're creating a platform every day for. So I'm appreciative of, of the time that we've spent together today, but we're also appreciative of, of, of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis to, to bring sport to life and to, to, to allow you to see what opportunities sports presents throughout, throughout the world. So just inspiring anybody to really do great in the world through sport and we could do that in so many different channels but today we are with matt panto from the ivy league thank you so much for your time sure, thank you and we're checking out from princeton new jersey hey guys thanks for listening if you haven't subscribed yet please hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends 
Our goal at Living Sport is to help all young professionals succeed in the sport industry, especially through the Living Sport International Sport Business Program. This program provides students with an opportunity to experience the world through sport. This year, Living Sport will be visiting Dublin, Ireland, London, England, and Athens, Greece. If you're interested to learn more or to apply for a 2020 program, go to livingsport.com. Have a great day, guys.